Thank you, Jono, and thank you, Northern Life, for giving me the privilege to share God's word with you this morning. I can't see your smiling faces, so maybe every once in a while just wave at me or nod. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and um, good day to the people online or watching video in the days or weeks or months, years to come. Um, it's always a privilege to reconnect with Jono and Leanne and the boys. Uh, I, I hope to see some of the others maybe later, but I know Josiah's down in Melbourne. Um, and what Jono mentioned about the pastor's conference in Kenya, they're just fond memories. It, it's just exciting. When I was uh, growing up, uh, following, started following Jesus, I could never imagine that in the 30-some years of working life, I would have traveled to 21 countries and speak at about 12 of those. And you just never know when you follow Jesus. And in my new season in life, I'm uh, half-time with SIM and half-time uh, sending out the message about redefining success. I love helping people find true success. Success. What is success? When we're in different stages, different seasons of life, different cultures, countries, nationalities might emphasise different, but there are certain themes that run right through. So growing up, success for me was to gain my father's approval. But that wasn't easy. My dad was a highly successful aeronautical engineer, intense perfectionist. No plane crash, no malfunction happened during his watch. But at home, it was hard. I interpreted that anything less than 100% was as good as a failure. I might have come third, second in class. That just wasn't good enough. Then I'm um, Chinese ethnically. We came to Australia, a very different Australia back in the 70s when it was the white Australia immigration policy. It's hard to imagine the Australia back then. I was the only non-white in my year at primary school in the first two years of high school. I got bullied a lot. This is the same children all over the world. They always pick on someone who's different. As you can see, I'm, I'm, I was skinny back then. I guess I still am. And I couldn't bash them. And so some lunch times, I'd just be on my own because that way I didn't get bullied. Success. I didn't have to be popular. I didn't have to be one of the cool kids. Maybe just to stop feeling like I was the odd one out. Well, at the age of 23, I graduated as a medical doctor. I gained my father's approval, tick. I had a beautiful Caucasian girlfriend, tick. I had a prestigious financial career ahead of me, tick. I was at the pinnacle of success. What more could a 23-year-old want? Well, the medical profession is intense. There's very tiny margin for error. And there's always one more thing to prove, one more rung of ladder of success to climb. A classmate, brilliant doctor, some years into his specialist training, suicided. Success is elusive. You, you grab a little bit and it's like vapor. You just can't grasp it. You get a taste and it leaves you yearning for more. So I love to help successful people who want something deeper that will quench the thirst of their soul. 
just as I love to help people who feel like outsiders, they never fit in, they just seem to be never good enough. Well, there's a woman named Harriet Rubin. She wrote a quote in a magazine, Fast Company. Of all the subjects we obsess about, success is the one we lie about the most. That success and its cousin money will make us secure. That success and its cousin power will make us important. That success and its cousin fame will make us happy. It's time to tell the truth. Why are our generation's smartest, most talented, most successful people flirting with disaster in record numbers? People are using all their means to get money, power and glory and then self-destructing. As a pastor, doctor, mission leader of uh, 21 countries, I've been trying to observe people and I see a lot of people exhausted working overtime, paying off a huge mortgage, struggling with financial stress from over-borrowing, overspending, to keep up the appearance of success. But no matter how hard they try, no matter how much they buy, they never get there. Whenever we define success according to what we possess, the house we live in, the cars we drive, or according to our achievements or approval of others, any outward symbols, we will always suffer. Because guess what? There is always somebody with more, somebody with better and bigger. And we will suffer the never enough syndrome. Do you know the never enough syndrome? It's like whatever we have, we just want a little bit more. No matter how much money you have in your savings, your uh, superannuation, to feel secure, you just want a little bit more. And we think our house is not enough, our career is not enough, our partner or our spouse is not good enough, I am not good enough. The never enough syndrome. But we don't have to live this way. We can connect with the real Jesus receive his help, and apply his life-giving definition of success. And this is at this point where I wish I could see your smiles or something. I saw a few of you nod, so maybe just need to, yeah, wave, thanks. Whoever's at the back there, thanks for uh, that wave. With that history of bullying, obviously I struggle with fear of rejection and fear of failure. How did I overcome one of the major fears in life? And that's public speaking. In Kenya, God gave me the privilege to be on radio and TV. Well, I applied three strategies that I'm about to share with you today. But before I do that, I want to bring greetings from SIM, as John mentioned, serving in mission. Um, and I'm continuing with them, uh, inspiring people, coaching them about global mission. And, you know, missions month, to be honest, it's not that bad that we've had to do a bit of a lockdown today. This is the reality for most of the world right now. We've been an island, a huge island, but we've been very privileged. Um, thank you, um, Helen, for praying for the people in India, uh, people in Brazil, I have friends. Um, my wife has a good friend who has close relatives who died of COVID in the recent weeks. That's the reality for the rest of the world. 
And it's good for us to be reminded of that. So the three strategies is that we need to identify and we need to refute worldly success. Then apply Jesus' definition of success and we need to do that in community. And as I've tried to diagram, they're self-feeding. When we're in community is that when other people will show us our blind spots, where we're defining success according to the world, and then we can connect with Jesus. As we connect with Jesus, he reveals uh, our blind spots and so on. So it's a self-feeding. Well, you've heard about um, my... So from here on, I'm going to speak very fast, uh, but don't worry if you... You know, don't be too anxious about missing anything because most of it is in the book. <laughs> and it will be available after the service. All right, what's your experience with success? When do you feel like a success? Or more like a failure? Is your definition of success harming you? Mother's Day, we saw those beautiful children. For us who are parents, is our definition of success harming our children? And um, I have young adults' children now. I'm seeing how their definition of success is a challenge to me as I'll share a bit more. I'm a failure in the eyes of my kids sometimes. And be alert to internal and external voices. I know people who might be successful outwardly, but internally they keep hearing the voice of their mother or their father, you just are not good enough. So we need to be alert to those voices and identify those definitions of success that are harmful. Because the reality is that we all suffer from harmful definitions of success, but sadly, most people are not aware because it's often hidden like cancer. So it's not until it blows and really impacts and harms us. So just like cancer, one of the signs often is about pain. You know the saying, if pain persists, see your doctor. So how do you identify definitions of success that are harming you? Be alert to the pain. So area of feelings, emotions, uh, I, like many men, struggle with our feelings, so I'll try to keep it simple. Only three feelings we've got to identify. When we're sad, mad, or feeling bad. If it's something that's persistent, recurrent, like I, I keep feeling this disappointment that I'm never good enough when I'm in the presence of so-and-so. Burden. Or feeling mad like I'm angry, if I'm constantly angry about something. Look deeper. There might be the cancer of a harmful definition of success. Or bad. It's like it's hard to quantify. You just feel like you want to get rid of this shame, this condemnation, the guilt, anxiety, or crippling fear that stops us from witnessing. Well, what's the definition of success that's like cancer? Or stops us following after Jesus to serve in Mozambique or Kenya, Bolivia, Bangladesh. Let's be alert. So what are some harmful definitions of success? If we were to go to Westfield and interview people, how might people in the world define success? Okay, I've alluded to some already. It's often about the salary we, we make, the house we live in, the car. So the next slide's a bit of a list there. It's about possessions. That's probably the most obvious. But often it's about popularity, 
our approval, the approval of our parents or our children or friends or others, the power, the influence we have, the pleasure we could afford. We used to go on overseas trips or cruise, and that used to be the outward symbol of success. Well, we're limited now. Um, appearance, our beauty or muscularity, achievements, status, outward symbols. Let me give you 10 seconds to pick two that you struggle with the most so that you could apply the rest of the message. I struggle most with achievements. I was in a Bible study group and um, all through my medical studies and four of us graduated together. Of the four, one is a pediatrician, an anesthetist, a plastic surgeon, and then there's me. Do I feel like a success? Well, not if I look at the house we live in. So which ones might be impacting you? Now let's consider how does most Christians define success most of the time? Okay, I've traveled 21 countries, been in Christian ministry decades. Let me suggest it's the same list. We modify it by saying we will be honest, we will work hard, we'll name it and claim it, we'll get it by faith, by being devoted. We all have different formulas, different denominations. But we're after the same things. We're leaning the ladder of success against the same wall and often climbing just as fast as people in the world. Timothy Keller, in, in the book Counterfeit Gods, he says, Money, when it takes hold of your heart, it blinds you to what is happening. It controls you through your anxieties and lusts, and it brings you to put it ahead of all other things. Why can't anyone in the grip of greed see it? The counterfeit god of money uses powerful sociological and psychological dynamics. Once you're able to afford to live in a particular neighborhood, like the Shire, Surrounded by quite a number of people who have more money than you, you don't compare yourself to the rest of the world, like globally. You compare yourself to those in your bracket. I don't meet many people who say, I am rich in Australia. Well, could that be our blind spot? Years ago, one of our kids was embarrassed with the house we live in. And our child said to me, Dad, I wish you had stayed working as a medical doctor in Australia. If you could just uh, switch the slide off for a sec. And he, he said, because then you could have earned lots of money. We could have a bigger house, two stories with a swimming pool. And I tried to explain, for your mum and me, life's not about the house we live in, the cars we drive. It's about following Jesus, doing what he wants. He said, Dad, you can just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. <laughs> he continued... People at church do that. What confused my child was that many of his friends go to church. Why do they get to say they follow Jesus? They have a mansion on the waterfront. His conclusion, you can just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. Well, let me be clear. If we are followers of Jesus... Would we not want to be a success in his eyes more than that of the world? 
Well, now let's look at what does God require to be a success in his eyes? So we'll see, as we read Luke 12 in a moment, how Jesus refutes worldly success and redefines success. Now, I realize I'm spending quite a bit of time in identifying the problem. And that is because when I was a doctor, if the patient in front of me will not accept that he has cancer, guess what? He's not going to do any of my recommendations. So if we're not able to identify our blind spots, we will not apply Jesus' definition of success. So let me give you 90 seconds. Uh, next slide, please. Just to discuss in twos, uh, softly, um, with your mask on, uh, bullet points of how does Jesus define success? What does Jesus require of us to be a success in his eyes? Okay, just bullet points, uh, 60 seconds. Over to you. All right, let's uh, continue. And you might have noticed that a few times I've said about connecting with the real Jesus. Why do I say about the real Jesus? Well, I'll be blunt. Is, is, that, all, is that all right? Can I be just hard? You know, um, oh, thank you, somebody else waved. Um, my background, all those years in Africa, you sort of be gentle, beat around the bush, but I only have a few minutes left, so um, thanks for letting me to be blunt. Well, to be blunt... 2,000 years, Jesus has been painted, has been portrayed, all these layers of culture, tradition, religion, that is really hard, 21st century Australia, to see the real Jesus or America. So David Platt, he warns us against the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus we are more comfortable with. He says... We're tempted to worship a nice, middle-class Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream or the Australian dream, whatever country's dream. We're molding Jesus into our image. And the danger now is that when we gather, we may not actually be worshipping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we may be worshipping ourselves. So let's listen to the real Jesus speak about success as I invite Kay to read from Luke 12. As he reads the Bible, try to use your imagination. The setting is Jesus is teaching the crowd. We'll hear that he gets interrupted and then he will say three essentials to be a success in God's eyes. Thank you. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me 
a judge or an arbiter between you. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In one sentence, Jesus refutes worldly success. It is not about what we possess. Do we hear that? Or a New Living Translation says, life is not measured by how much you own. Even back then, this was most challenging to understand. So he illustrates with a story, and then he will teach what is success. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that the all-Australian dream come true? To retire early. Yet, at this moment when he thought he was on the pinnacle of success, felt most secure, listen to what God's assessment of his life is. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus says three essentials to be a success in his eyes can be summed up in being God's children. He said, your father in heaven knows what you need. Your father, your father. He emphasized that relationship and then to be kingdom focused and to be giving generously. Easy, right? It's not hard. Easy in theory, but most challenging to apply. And so this uh, diagram is from South America. Uh, They often say you could have all the theory in the world, but you need to move to action. So if the theory is that life is about Jesus and about the kingdom, my action is that I stay in the same house that we started buying 28 years ago. Who says you have to keep living, moving to a bigger, better house? Now, I struggled that my child thought of me as a bit of a failure. 
compared to the dads of his friends because they lived in bigger, better houses. But even if, as I struggle with the pain, it keeps reminding me, life's not about me. It's about Jesus. And in reality, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I have a great house. Compared to 90% of the people in this world, I have better house. And so what action is God asking you to take? When we're ridiculed for believing in Jesus and feel that pain, it's a great reminder. I don't have to be popular. I don't have to have their approval. And do you see how as we take the action, it will strengthen our conviction? So being God's children, I'll, I'll just ask you the application question, is where might you place your security and identity in your savings or in your possessions? Uh, next slide, please. Achievements, career, appearance, or any outward symbols more than in what Jesus says of us, more than being God's children. The second, being kingdom focus, is really hard in 21st century Australia because the marketing in Australia is some of the best in the world, constantly bombards us, hypnotize us with the messages that life is about you. You are the most important. So we're caught in this whirlpool of self-absorption. Yeah, we pray, but we pray about our career, about our lifestyle, about our next purchase. We pray about our health. Those things have its, their place. But watch out for the whirlpool of self-absorption. To be kingdom-focused, as uh, Pastor Jonathan reminded us last week, must be beyond local. Yes, cross-cultural to people of other cultures that God has brought to our doorsteps. That's all important and at the same time global. Whether it be to the widows, orphans, refugees, the poor, global, as well as local. In reality, over half the people in this world have yet to hear of Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. And one of the best ways God has chosen is to send them live human beings. Sure, he can use the internet. He can use radio. Those things are important. But often he chooses live human beings to explain the good news. So in a gathering this size, online, people watching this video, there are many of us that God wants to send all around the world. But maybe we're held back by worldly success. So the, um, the book has group discussion questions, so you could use the book as a Bible study in a group. Uh, one of the discussion questions there is to reflect on when you lost sleep and compare that with when do you lose sleep over the reality that over half the people in this world have yet to hear of the good news of Jesus or other kingdom issues. The third one, giving generously. What do you reckon is the biggest challenge to be giving generously? If I could be hard, I would suggest is that many times we think we are already generous. You see, once we think we're generous, tick. How do we grow in that area? But who defines generosity? If a billionaire gives 50%, 80% of their wealth, would you think they're generous? Would Jesus think they're generous? Not if you read Luke 22. Jesus makes it very clear, sorry, Luke 21, of the poor widow 
The one Jesus put, if you want to be generous, be like the poor widow. That's the one Jesus holds up on the pedestal, who gave all that she had. Out of her poverty, out of her desperate needs, she gave. So Jesus defines generosity not how much we give, it's how much we hold back to ourselves. And John Piper, the issue is not how much a person makes. The evil is in being deceived into thinking $100,000 salary must be accompanied by a $100,000 lifestyle. God had made us to be conduits of his grace. The danger is in thinking the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. My hero is William Colgate, the Colgate company guy. People estimated, he never bragged about it, but those who were close to him estimated that by the end of his working career, he gave 90% of his income. Wow, reverse tithing. Some of you, that's the gift God wants to give. The gift of giving. Give generously. But to do that, we need to redefine success. So, summary, we could be caught up with worldly success. The result will be poor towards God. We'll continue to be rebel and orphans and be independent of him. Or we can be rich towards God, be children, function as children of God, practically, as dependent on him. Or we can be caught up with worldly success, fill our hearts with anxiety, fear, restlessness, self-absorbed, empty, end up being stingy and hoarding. Or we can be about Jesus' success, experience his peace and contentment, be kingdom-focused and overflowing with generosity. But it's really hard to do that. So I'm working hard. So to join me, um, join me in redefining success. Yes, you could buy the book, that, that, so you get more information. Uh, today's special price is only 15 instead of $19. But maybe you can help me get the message out. Or you can join me on an online challenge that starts at the end of May to apply. Because the theory is not that hard. But we need the application. So the seven-week challenge, you'll see the topics up there. But basically, we're going to try to apply and support one another and be accountable to each other as we seek to redefine success according to Jesus. Because you cannot do this alone. My final point, and it's brief because it's not in theory, you just got to do it. And that's community. You don't need more theory, you just need to join a life group, Bible study group, prayer group, whatever, with other people that you can do mutual support and accountability. Finally then, let's be clear on the motivation. I'm not out to guilt or shame or condemn anyone. Because the only motivation that will last is the motivation of love. Love for God and love for people. And I'll close with this story. When I was first heading to Africa way back decades ago, my friends wanted to give me a good farewell party. At that time, downtown Sydney, there was a fancy hotel that had a chocolate festival where you come into a huge ballroom Um, It was expensive, my friends paid for me, and all these tables lined with everything chocolate you could imagine. Uh, Cheesecakes, parfait, those liqueur-scented chocolates, that's what I love the most. Um, Ice cream variety, and and you can have as much as you like, and I did. Eventually, I had to go to the toilet. And I passed by another hall where there was a signboard of a medical conference. While I was washing my hands in the bathroom, two doctors walked in, and I suddenly had these deep thoughts. 
you can enjoy this lifestyle. It doesn't have to happen because your friends paid for you. Stay working as a medical doctor in Australia. 15 to 20 years, you'll earn so much money, you could easily afford to stay in hotels like this for your holidays. You're giving this up, throwing away this lifestyle. What for? Is it worth it? As you seek to redefine success according to Jesus in the days, weeks, months to come, you'll face hardship, challenges, and you might be tempted to ask the same question, is it worth it? But please remember that's the wrong question. With those deep questions, I mean, by then my hands were sterile. I could have done surgery. But why did I give up that lifestyle? Wasn't for my home church, wasn't for SIM. The question needs to always be, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth this much? And I had one of those rare, unnerving experiences. As if the Lord Jesus walked into the bathroom, asked me, Omar, am I worth this much to you? The presence of Jesus felt so real, I almost cried. I wanted to shout, yes, Jesus, you're worth this much and much more. Because you died for me. Paul puts it best. For the love of Christ compels us, motivates us, because we're convinced that he died for all. That those who live, those who've received his gift of life, should no longer live for themselves. Should no longer be defining success as the world does but to live for him who died for us and was raised again. Will you stand as we close in prayer? And um, if you're watching online, um, I invite you to also stand. Uh, something of an outward action as we pray. Let me give you some moments of quietness for you to listen to the Lord Jesus. And also to declare to him what he is worthy of from you. Our Father, we come to you just as we are. Your word says there's nothing hidden from your sight. But when you see us as your children, you don't condemn. When you convict, it's always with open arms for us to come running to you. And so, Father, I sense many of my sisters and brothers, we want to run to you and say, you are worthy of my entire devotion. And if uh, God has been convicting you about something, I invite you just to confess whatever that might be. And remember his word that says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Receive his forgiveness. And if you're feeling helpless to refute the whirlpool of self-absorption or worldly success, I invite you to cry out to Jesus for help. And you might want to be just where you are to raise your hand, just like a child to their dad. Say, lift me up on your powerful shoulders. Help me 
And online at home, you might want to do the same. And that's all I'm going to ask. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that, but just where you are. You might want to do something outward, action, as a sign of your cry from your heart. Father, help me to refute worldly success, to resist those harms, and to redefine success according to Jesus. And let's remember, God has already empowered us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Receive is empowering as we continue as children of God to redefine success. We commit one another, Father, to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing these songs, let it be a response and keep responding to the Holy Spirit uh, where he convicts, where he shows our blind spots to agree with him and to take steps to redefine success. Thank you.